This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you made us and know us and know what we need. Thank you that you speak to us. Pray, help us to receive by your Holy Spirit what you are sharing with us this morning and strengthen us by that same Spirit to share with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday night, a youth group, there was a moment, same as every Sunday, where we have small little clusters for share and prayer. Share and prayer. So there's me and some younger high school guys sitting around a table, uh, and we're sharing. And it's my turn to share. What's my prayer request? This sermon. And, and, and they leaned in thoughtfully, or they leant back eating Oreos. Can't quite remember. Um, but then one of them does pray. And it's a beautiful prayer. It's a mature prayer. Um, and one word jumps out of his prayer, and it's this. It's the word accomplish. Accomplish. He prays that God would accomplish. Well, he actually prayed that I would accomplish what I intend for the sermon. But I think he's also thinking, and I'm thinking, well, what does God want to accomplish this morning? We've been spending our time in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. What did Jesus seek to accomplish through that parable then? And what might he want to accomplish today? And to be honest, it's a great prayer to pray if you ever read in the Bible, Lord, what do you want to accomplish through this text in me today? So that's what we're going to look at, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And if you've been here at Ascension the last few Sundays, there's been a pattern in the gospel readings from Luke and looking at parables. And last Sunday, Father Jonathan was teaching from the parable of the shrewd manager the shrewd manager. And this shrewd manager had a keen eye on the future and made strategic decisions in the present. But that parable ended with Jesus' exhortation that we cannot serve both God and wealth. We cannot serve both God and wealth. And the Pharisees, writes Luke, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. The Pharisees loved money. Why did they ridicule Jesus? Perhaps they were presenting themselves as, you know, kind of God's aristocratic leaders and representing God. And Jesus said, no, you can't serve both God and wealth, putting his finger on what they really were serving, so they felt threatened. And when we feel threatened, what do we do? We defend ourselves in various ways. Ridiculing and distancing is a nice way to do so. They loved money they ridicule Jesus. And so what does Jesus do? He tells this parable. So the wealth-loving Pharisees are listening in, and Jesus tells this parable. Before we dive into the story, just remember that those who knew Jesus best said he was the most amazingly loving person, that his words, even his hard words, were for their good 
And hard things, difficult things can be for our good. I took a friend to some planned surgery on Thursday. It's not easy, but you submit to that kind of surgery knowing it's going to give you better options afterwards. So shall we submit perhaps to what surgery Jesus may be intending through this parable? Let's get in. So you're on page five, I believe, of your bulletin. Uh, Deacon Mark just read to us wonderfully. Verse 19 There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Hmm. I mean, that sounds like a dream life to me. Your clothes are both comfortable and obviously expensive. Uh, It's kind of top-level athletic wear, maybe. Um, You know, purple was pricey in the ancient Mediterranean, so your outfits are comfortable and expensive and your meals are fantastic. Imagine that being in the income bracket where you have a personal chef who sources the best ingredients, provides the best dishes. This guy's having a wonderful time. Imagine you're sitting down for lunch and everything feels great and it smells great. There's a good nose, good nose on this Barolo. And, and And it tastes great and it looks great. Well, not everything looks great. Because from his table, through his window, what does he see at the gate? Verse 20. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. Now that's a scene that's going to spoil your lunch. So I was going to adjust my chair and take a different view. Well, if the rich man won't look at who is at the gate, we should. We see someone with a name, Lazarus. Unlike our first character, who was so defined by his wealth, he was just the rich man. Lazarus, an abbreviation of Eliezer, which means he whom God helps. Huh. He is named, but he is poor, and his life is in extreme contrast to the rich man's. Instead of fine linen caressing his skin, he is tormented by sores, made worse by the leathery tongues of dogs. Have you ever been physically uncomfortable and you can't do anything about it? I once drove a car full of teens to a ski trip. in a snowstorm, down the turnpike, in a friend's car, in which the heated seats had been activated, and which I had no idea how to turn off. Nor any like bandwidth to look down. My bottom was on fire. (laughs) Lazarus suffering how much more, on the outside and on the inside. Instead of that satisfied feeling when you finish a feast, he longs for the scraps of bread that the wealthy would use just to wipe their hands before discarding under the table. He's unsatisfied, feels great physical need, has little hope that such needs will be met. Ever felt like that? The rich man at his table, the poor man at his gate. It's hard to think of a more striking contrast between being blissfully happy and comfortable and miserably unhappy and in torment. 
Is there a more striking contrast? For those who are listening to the gospel reading, you're smiling, there is. Verse 22, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. It's a new contrast. The roles are reversed. Lazarus is the recipient of divine care and rests with Abraham and the angels in comfort. The rich man is in Hades, tormented. Now, what does the rich man do? Does he repent and apologize to Lazarus, weeping over his callous treatment, his selfish refusal to see him and help him? No. Verse 24. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. He doesn't repent. His heart is just the same, conscious of what he wants, he needs, and even just sees Lazarus as a potential servant. Notice something? He knows Lazarus' name. He is not unaware of who was at the gate. He was not unaware. He just didn't care. He didn't make that short walk from table to gate. He didn't invite him in. He didn't share. The rich man cries out. How does Abraham respond? Verse 25. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so. And no one can cross from there. To us. It was a short walk from table to gate, but now there's this unbridgeable chasm from which he cannot pass. He is stuck and feels great physical need and now has no hope that such needs will ever be met. What does he do next? The rich man said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not come also into this place of torment. He may warn them. We're coming into Jesus' main point. The loving words that we need to heed. There's a clear warning. But it's less about the danger of future torment. It's more about right now and about how we Listen. The rich man wants Abraham to send Lazarus to warn his brothers. Abraham replies, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. They already have what they need. They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen. They could listen. Let's not miss this statement. Jesus' massive statement at the heart of the parable in the parable, Abraham, the great Jewish patriarch, the father of the faith, is telling the wealthy man in torment under God's judgment that he should have listened to Moses and the prophets. Jesus, through Abraham, is telling the wealthy Pharisees that they could have, should have listened 
to Abraham and to Moses and the prophets. And they were ridiculing him. Why? Because they loved wealth. He wants the Pharisees to realize their own scriptures will condemn them. Their God of their scriptures will condemn them. Even patriarchs like Abraham will condemn them. He wants them to hear this. That's what he wants to encourage. That's what he wants to accomplish. The Pharisees were listening to each other. Their own little echo chamber. Reassuring words. We're we're right, aren't we? We can ridicule any threats, any challenges, any voice from outside. They weren't listening to God. Which is pretty unnerving for us. Are we in our own echo chambers? Listening only to the reassuring voices that already agree with what we think? Distancing ourselves from threats? not listening to God, how we live shows who we listen to. And who we listen to has eternal consequences. How we live shows who we listen to. And who we listen to has eternal consequences. And that's the challenge of this parable. The Pharisees, were they listening to Moses? Who in Deuteronomy 15, 11 said, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Were they listening to the prophet Isaiah, who in chapter 58 writes, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Were the Pharisees listening to Jesus who said, you cannot serve both God and wealth? Were they listening? Are we listening? Let's jump back into the parable. The rich man is in trouble. Abraham has said his brothers just need to read their own scriptures. But the rich man knows they don't really take the scriptures that seriously. They are busy living life to the full, filling days with beautiful experiences. It takes time to prayerfully read the Bible and listen, Lord, what do you want to accomplish in me? It takes focus to follow a sermon, right? Where where are we? What what are we doing? We're unpacking the parable of Jesus, sorry, of the rich man and Lazarus. It takes time in a busy week to attend a community group Bible study. He believes his brothers need a dramatic intervention, ideally one that could be quick and effective. He says, Father Abraham, if someone, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. And that's the end of the parable. What was the Pharisees' response? We don't know. What is our response? Remember the point. How we live reveals who we listen to. And and who we listen to has eternal consequences. In the parable, the rich men and his brothers didn't listen to God. 
They had Moses and the prophets. They had access to the word of God. But they didn't listen. Who were they listening to? I mean, it's plausible for me to imagine maybe, if there's this sort of shared experience between these brothers, maybe it was a parent figure, maybe their dad. Maybe he had always communicated this. I want you guys to have the best life possible. I want you to have the best opportunities for the best life possible. A comfortable life. A life free from care. A beautiful life. And how they lived revealed who they listened to. And the rich man didn't make that short walk from his table to his gate. And maybe he forgot that this life is not all there is. He didn't listen. My grandmother used to say, apparently, there are none so deaf as those who won't listen. Which, to my dad's credit, he heard and remembered and passed on to me. Now, what she said immediately previously, which inspired that comment, remains a mystery. How we live reveals who we listen to, and who we listen to has eternal consequences. So who do you listen to? Who are the living voices shaping your choices? The memories of voices? The media voices? Are these voices leading us closer to God? Are we finding faith and hope and love growing? Are these voices leading us away and we find faith waning, hope draining, and love withering? How does your life reveal who you listen to? As we reflect on our life choices and how we use our time and our money, what are our priorities? When we get stressed and angry, when we bubble up with pride and satisfaction, who we seek to please and who we just ignore, maybe we'll discern who we listen to. And Jesus' question to us always this, will you listen to me? Will you be open to my voice? I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. Will you create time and space to listen? Will you go to those places and with those people where you're likely to hear me? Some might be thinking, well, why would I want to listen to Jesus? Here's why. Remember those contrasts table and the gate. And those contrasts grew. And they're the greater contrast of Lazarus at peace and the rich man in torment. Why would anyone go from peace to help someone in torment? What Jesus did. In the words of St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, think power, think joy, think peace, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in, human, uh, found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Torment. Why? For us for you, that he might share with you life and grace and peace and presence and himself. 
As one songwriter put it, thinking about the cross, I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. Remember someone describing kind of God's anger like a sun through the light through a magnifying glass focusing on one point, on Jesus on the cross. For us, that he might share with us forgiveness and peace and life. Died on the cross. Third day rose again, victorious. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That's why we listen to him. Because he is the power to share his life with us. And we show that we have received what he shares as we share with others. As we receive what he shares, his life, his word, his spirit, his presence, we find ourselves able to share with others. The rich man didn't, but we can. And how we live reveals who we listen to. And who we listen to has eternal consequences. In a few moments, we'll say the confession as we do every Sunday, including these words to God. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. If you feel convicted for not sharing, for not being willing to receive what Jesus shares, it's a good time to do so. And then hear the celebrant pray that God would pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life. So listen and be strengthened together this morning as we receive communion in your community groups, at events like Soul Care, at the parish retreat in Laurelville next weekend. Listen and be strengthened. And you can even do so today. I'm just going to I didn't do this at the nine, but I'm going to reread um, the, uh, the one Timothy, final little section. And maybe take this bulletin home and maybe 15 minutes reflect, pray, and say, Lord, what do you want to accomplish in me? It's on page four, verse 17. As for those who are in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather set their hopes on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for giving your life for us, that we may have the life that really is life. As we receive what you share, pray, fill us with your Holy Spirit and empower us this week to share with those in need. In Jesus' name, amen.